This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good Wednesday morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Lisa Wysocki in Ashland City, Tennessee. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 17th, episode 2227. This episode is brought to you by Horselovers.com. Good morning, Horse World. Everybody up, rise and shine. It's a new day. It's Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Here we can go again. And away we go. As you've just heard, we are once again joined by longtime friend of the show, Lisa Wysocki, filling in as Glenn's co-host today. We have a special live report from listener Diana DeRosa on the Pan Am Games 101 we are joined by Steve Krauss, head of Ferry Services at Cornell's College of Vet Medicine, for a horse health segment on how important the horse's health, sorry, how important the horse's hind end is, in particular, what goes wrong and how farriers can help. Then we celebrate being born in the 70s, which, despite Glenn's jokes about my apparent youthful appearances, I am part of that cool club. And Molly Pearson calls in to talk about the Mongol Derby. But first, Glenn tells us about a young dressage rider and her special little partner. So you don't want to miss any of it. It's going to be a packed show, as always, today, guys. And speaking of today, today is National Hot Dog Day, National <laughs> Peach Ice Cream Day, and National Tattoo Day. So choose wisely, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you had to choose a hot dog, peach ice cream, or a tattoo, Lisa. Oh, uh, peach ice cream. Uh, Jimmy, today, what what are you picking? If they're giving them out for free, give me a tattoo because I have one that really needs some attention. (laughs) (laughs) If they're not free, then I'll try some peach ice cream. (laughs) I've tried peach. I couldn't do peach ice cream. I love peaches. I love ice cream, but peach ice cream, I couldn't do. I don't know why. So the tattoo or the hot dog? A hot dog. I'm going hot dog. Yeah. And <laughs> Jemmy and I have had this conversation in many a road trip, and she's tried to get I've me to tried. pull. I've tried. Every time we pass by a tattoo shop, I'm like, oh, let's go in there. That'll make a great stop. <laughs> she's like, good. It'll be a good story. We can hear you screaming the whole time. We can record it. And no, we have never done that. Never worked. No. She's going to keep trying, though. I don't think she's going to be happy till I have a tattoo. You know, I don't have any tattoos, but I think I'd do the tattoo over the hot dog. <laughs> I can't do hot dogs. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> now, if you threw sauerkraut in the hot dog, I might get the tattoo, actually. I'm not much of a sauerkraut. <laughs> Abigail Gray is 11 years old, and she's from Scotland, and she headed off to the Youth, youth Interregionals on... Uh, the 29th and 30th of June as part of Team Scotland with her 14-year-old Welsh pony named Rascal. Uh, so her and Rascal headed over to compete in dressage, and they're uh, apparently competing at the D-Squad Rider Skills Test. I don't know what that means. It's like uh, preliminary level, I guess. And any guess on what they ended up with for their two tests score-wise? 
Well, because we're talking about it, she must have done really, really well. Uh, what's a what's a perfect score, Lisa? You know, I'm not into dressage, but I'm going to say a hundred. Yeah, that's correct. And yeah, and the really, really good. If you have a really, really good test, you're in the seventies. A really great test, you're in the eighties. Yeah. And you have to be Charlotte Desjardins to be in the nineties, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Abigail did a 95.8 on her first test and a 94.4 on her second and had the highest scores of the whole competition and was crowned D-Squad champion on both days. No way. That is <laughs> yeah. so awesome. Yeah, because nobody was even <laughs> close. They were probably in the 60s. <laughs> it's like, how do you get... First of all, how do you get a Welsh pony to be that uh, cooperative? Well, for a, whole... <laughs> a Welsh pony named Rascal. Rascal that, I mean, that exactly. says it right there. Exactly. <laughs> I love the quote. It's the first time Abigail... This is mo- her mom. It's the first yeah. time Abigail has been in such a big warm-up with other riders. Adults weren't allowed inside the arena, and she coped well and got on with it. She thrived in the big competition setting. She was always asking to go and watch other riders. She likes to watch and learn and embraces everything. I think when you're 12 or 13, Charlotte could be looking for a little helper. Well, I'm going to say, she's our, she's the next Olympic superstar. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, yeah I can just see it coming. Abigail Gray, we've got to keep an eye out for her. Yes, definitely. And she is cute as a button, and her pony is cute as a button, by the way. So uh, congratulations to both of them. All right, Daily Winnies. Well, happy birthday to all the following auditors. Elizabeth York, Bethany Bartoloni. Bartoloni, I love that name. Uh, Jenna Lay, Victoria Valinsky, and our friend Michelle Barr. Hi, Michelle. And, of course, Jen's mom, Pat. So, happy birthday to all of you. And also, a special Daily Winnie goes out to our Aussie auditor, Shannon Brooks, who is off to undergo her international FEI para-equestrian classification. Now, long-time listeners will know we had Shannon on a little while back when she broke her foot and had to uh, put off her classification. But she apparently is healed enough to go off and do that. Uh, And she's also going to do a or go to a master class put on by Laura Gray. Our own Laura Graves here from the USA. So, uh, congrats or good luck to Shannon, and we wish her the best. Also, uh, I know Sarah's undergoing a surgery, and she knows who she is. She's one of our terrific authors, and we all love Sarah. So, we're thinking about you, Sarah, and, and uh, wishing you the best of luck with that. Hope it comes out perfectly the way they planned it. Well, my daily winnies go out to Robin Garrett and Kim Light. They're two friends of mine. I don't know when National Friends Day or National Friendship Day is, but um, maybe it's today. And uh, I just think we don't thank our friends enough. They do so much for us. And Robin and Kim just keep me going. They help me at Colby's Army, and they're just good sounding boards, good friends. They'll step in whenever. And I just wanted to give them a shout out for just being really, really good friends. Yay. Yeah. Well, uh, well then I got to thank uh, you and Jemmy, too. Thank you for that. 
<laughs> no, it was National Friends Day. We made that up. Well, it's, but, yeah, we uh, made it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. speaking of making days up, uh, apparently Saturday is National Meet a Horse Day. And I remember this started by the uh, the American Horse Council started this a couple of, It seems like we just had I Love Horses Day. We just had National Horse Day. And now it's National Meet a Horse Day. Yeah. So uh, it's all it, horses are just getting their own days left and right. So Saturday or Friday at the the U.S. Department of Agriculture, National Park Service, Park Police, and the Washington International Horse Show are bringing the Quezon platoon, the Quezon horses out, and you can go meet them at the USDA's farmer market, farmers market on July the nineteenth. Apparently, there's a farmers market on the National Mall every every Friday. Did you know that? May through October. I did not know. Yeah. Uh, so a bunch of farmers and ranchers come in and they sell their stuff. And you can go from 10 to 2 and meet the Quezon horses over there. So it's, and apparently there's uh, organizations all over the country on Saturday having National Meet a Horse Day festivities. And that started, what, about five years ago, if I remember right. We had them on the show. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think anytime we can get a horse in front of somebody who's never met a horse before, I think that's awesome. Yeah. You know, good you, job. you just never know who the next big horse person is going to be or where they're going to come from. And, and maybe it's just because they met a horse on National Meet a Horse Day. Have you seen the uh, Storm Area 51 movement going on? Oh, yeah. All the alien fanatics. <laughs> all over Facebook. Yeah. yeah. All the alien fanatics signing petitions saying they're going to come out on a certain day and storm Area yeah. 51 because they can't shoot yeah. all of us, right? Um, <laughs> if, if a half a million people show up, how many are they going to shoot? Um, yes. I wouldn't want to take a chance. Uh, we were on a trip, and we ended up in the desert above Las Vegas just driving around, and we saw this crazy-looking guy with this camper going about 90 miles an hour through the desert. And I said, I wonder where he's going. And I mean, it was like no road. So yeah. we drive up, and there's these signs on our left, and we didn't know what they were. We just thought we're following this dude to see where he was going, um, which is probably a really bad idea, by the way, on all, on all fronts. <laughs> so, so we're driving through the desert, and uh, all of a sudden, there's this Jeep off in the distance with these guys. And then I read one of the signs, and it was Area 51, and they were keeping a close eye on that guy and his camper and us. I'm sure they yeah, were. Yeah, they were. So it's like, well, let's, maybe we should turn around before they come out to investigate. So anyway, it was really funny. There was, on Horse Nation, a parody of that whole movement, and it was written by Deanne Sloan, and it was really funny. It's the 51 reason equestrians would storm Area 51 and risk getting shot. So <laughs> why would equestrians storm Area 51 not to see aliens? That, that's not why. Uh, none yep. of us are going to risk getting shot for that. But for the following things, and I didn't pick all 51. I just picked a few of them. Yeah. Uh, you might risk getting shot for these. So why would you storm Area 51? How about a 60% off tax sale? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd be there. Yeah, most, most <laughs> of the horse women I know would be there. Uh, yeah. How about bales of high quality second cut hay for two fifty a bale? I would storm it for that because we pay about yeah. thirty a bale for that stuff. I can't imagine you guys paying that much. Oh, I it's, mean, it's incredibly expensive. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why the camper guy was there. He was going to stuff his his camper maybe. full of hay bales. <laughs> how about a well bred seventeen hand flashy gelding that is sound, fancy, broke, kid safe, and totally bomb proof for under twenty five hundred dollars? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, yeah. You'd be a line there. Well, but see, now he, he may have been invaded by an alien. Well, that's true. Which so, makes him, I don't know. Which might make it even more fun. It, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> How about a new Devico dressage saddle? Yeah. I, I would pass on that. 
I don't need to. St- I don't need to get shot you for could, that. You could sell it, Glenn. <laughs> How about vet bills covered for life? I'm in on that one. Yep. I'm in on the vet bills covered for life. Feed bills covered for life. Farrier bills covered for life, and any regularly reoccurring horse bills covered for life. Yes, I think we're all yes. in on that one. Uh, yes. We could dodge bullets for those. How about a free four horse living quarters trailer? Yeah. Yeah, you'd be there. Yeah, yeah. And a truck to haul it. Yeah, I'd be there for that. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It'd have to be like a $100,000 variety, though. I, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah be <laughs> How about, I love these, bell boots that won't come off unless you take them off. <laughs> that might be worth worth risking bullets. It might be. Yeah. Fly masks that won't come off unless you take them off. Yeah, yes. that's right. How about fly spray that works for more than two and a half minutes? Um, yes, 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 yes. It just doesn't work. 100% guaranteed colic preventative. Yeah. Yep, that's right. How about a whole herd of cute cuddly foals? (laughs) (laughs) Or an airplane hangar full of briar horses? I would not for that. I got to pass. You know, I don't know. These briar fest people are pretty intense. So I think uh, you you may have have a, a warehouse full of goodies for them. Um, how about, uh, oh, I love this one. A revolutionary new technology that keeps you from ever getting hat or helmet hair. Oh, holy cow. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I would be up for that too. (laughs) Somebody Um, has to invent that. Somebody, (laughs) somebody has to invent that. How about a decent uh, supply of high quality boot socks that don't slouch? Do they... There are some brands that don't slouch. Some are better than others, but uh, yeah. there are some brands that don't slouch. Uh, you know, I I have a friend whose boots always, always slouch, and then uh, socks, and then uh, mine never do. It doesn't matter. I, I, maybe it's the shape of your leg. I, I think that might have something to do with it, too. Yeah. If you have calves, you're probably not going to slouch. That's you got skinny true. legs, you're going to slouch. Yeah. Um, how about self-bailing and self-stacking hay? Oh, Yes. <laughs> there is no worse job in the heat of summer than putting hay up. No. It's itchy. No. You get it all over you. It sticks to you. It's just... It's awful. It is awful. I mean, not to mention they're heavy and all that stuff, but just... Yeah. Ugh. Well, and, and it's so hot, you yes. know. It, it, I don't mind stacking hay in, you know, when it's under... 95 degrees but but holy cow when it's it's hot it's just miserable we uh i I think i told this story before we moved farms we bought a farm right after we had gotten an entire tractor trailer truckload of hay we never bought tractor trailer truckloads of hay but we did for that for like the month before we moved so we had to hire another tractor trailer truck to come out we had to load the entire tractor trailer truck onto the truck and bring it to the new farm and unload it that was oh man twice we did a tractor trailer truck load of hay oh Uh, wow yeah that was and finally how about for 52 free thoroughbreds (laughs) <laughs> sure <laughs> or to get away from the facebook post well though, but, about but the you'd have to have reference. you'd have to have you know all the hay to feed the <laughs> that's right that's true that's true <laughs> so those are just some of the reasons if you want to see the rest of them you can head on over to horse nation it was an article called 51 reasons equestrians would storm area 51 and risk getting shot yeah. All right. We have one of our roving reporters on. She's been on the show many, many, many times, and she always gets to go to the exotic locations, and she has been for like a thousand years. 
Um, and she, I, I, I just gave her age away, I think. Um, and she's doing all kinds <laughs> of other fun stuff, too. But we're getting her on right now to talk about the Pan Am games, which are coming up. Diana DeRosa. Hi, Diana. Hi, Diana. Oh, so <laughs> it's always so much fun to talk to you guys. Well, now, Pan Am games, can you kind of give us the 101? What are they? Why are they? What do we do there? The Pan Am games are not for the Europeans, but basically for North and South America. So it's uh, it's still you know quite a quite a number of people that that go there and stuff. And we've got three our three teams are typical Olympic games, you know, dressage, eventing, and and show jumping that we'll be going to represent. Two of our teams have already qualified for um, the Olympic games, but the eventing team still has to qualify. So it becomes in a who you send partially becomes part of, um, you know, whether or not we need to qualify for the Olympics, but it's, um, it's, you know, when we go, it's very similar to feeling like you're at the Olympics. It's just not at all of the different competitions are not at that high, the highest level that the Olympic games are at. So they might be one step because the Germans the aren't there like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that European, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's why. We Let's have, be you know, even though, even though we've qualified our show jumping team, we've got our two top riders, BZ and McLean, that are going to be there along with a couple of others. But um, you know, the dressage team—they've qualified already, so they're able to send kind of, you know, the ones that are up and coming to give them mileage and a chance to experience what it's like. I mean, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I was um, surprised, actually, that, that the jumpers didn't do that and went with the top. Well, you know why? I, there's, there's a couple of reasons you can look at that. Um, it, 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 it doesn't necessarily mean about the rider. It can also mean about the horse. Hmm. So they can take horses that need that kind of mileage that aren't there necessarily their top horses. And, um, and it always a good support. You know, if you're sending new riders, it's good support to have people have been there and done that. So, uh, you know, that that's part of it too. So the eventing team, but, you know, is it the number one team that qualifies or is it one and two? How's that work? One and two. One and two. Yeah. The first and second. Yeah. So oh, we, we have a good uh, shot. So they really, yeah, yeah, we've got, you know, Boyd Martin part of that team, Doug Payne, Tammy Smith, and Lynn Szymanski. So, you know, we've got some some really good riders there. But, and you the know, Canadians? Do they need to qualify too, Diana? The Canadians? Um, you know, I I am not sure about that. I, um, I was actually just looking looking into that because I think, um, you know, that I always focus on the U.S. riders, but... You know, I like to know our partners in the north, what how they're up to to doing. So now, um, where's it being I do held? Have that information, but not handy. It's being held in Lima, Peru. Okay. And um, you know, the interesting thing to keep in mind is that for us journalists, it's it's like a year long. I mean, we're already. Um, I'm also qualified to go to the you know accredited to go to the Olympics next year. Not everybody has got their accreditation yet. But we're we do this stuff, this international stuff. We're planned for years, years in advance. You know, it's um, it's a big process for us because we've got to get accredited. We've got to figure out where we're going to stay. We've got to figure out our transportation. What's going to happen when we're on site? We've got this equipment. We want our equipment to be safe. And there's so many different variables that we have to deal with that it's uh, 
it takes a lot of time and energy. You know, I started packing at least a month before, um, <laughs> just because, you know, I have this pattern. I put everything, I start to pile everything up, you know, about a month, four to six weeks ahead of time, start piling it, piling everything up. And then, you know, I get down to the three weeks, I start going through and slowly figuring out okay, exactly what I need, what am I missing, what do I have to buy, and that type of thing. And I partially do that because as I get nervous, as I get closer, it gets, I get more nervous about, you know, how much time do I have left to get prepared. <laughs> so, so, Diana, do you find that um, when you're packing, is there something that you always are, are just going to know that you're going to buy once you arrive on site, that you just, just leave it home and, and you'll just buy it there? I very rarely will buy anything on site. It's not, you know... I don't know if people understand just how difficult this is for us to do. You know, it's not like we get a ton of sleep. We get there and we get very little sleep once we, we start. I mean, our days are long. We generally, you know, are out there at six on buses and stuff and shooting from eight until five or six. And then we start downloading photos and writing stories and all of that. You know, we can get to bed anywhere from midnight to three in the morning and then have to get up at six again. So um, to think about doing other things <laughs> going like to a buying store. things is <laughs> <laughs> not, not in the cards. We're Di- thinking about getting enough sleep. Diana also weighs about 95 pounds, and, and that's probably generous. <laughs> and her cameras weigh about 300 pounds. So you see Diana <laughs> walking around, and all you see is cameras. You really don't see Diana at all. It's just cameras. <laughs> so you got to pack all that crap, too. Do you ever get uh, trouble at uh, you know, TSA and stuff? And you know, I'm sure they check your luggage. Um, you know, I, first of all, as a, as a journalist with camera and computers, we never send that stuff in the, in the cargo. We always carry it. So that, that is why the transport part is so difficult, you know, because it's on our backs and, and it's, we're dragging it and it's a lot of equipment because we have to think in, you know, we have to think of being there for two and a half weeks and every scenario, huge rings and, you know, how can we make our photos different and stuff? So, um, no, do I usually get, um, yeah, they look through it and, um, you know, I, but, but the biggest part, the biggest problem sometimes is actually on the plane, not so much internationally because the planes are bigger, but when you do the shorter trips, the smaller planes, they try not to let you carry your equipment in the hmm. planes. And often I have to fight with them to prove that I know my bags. I, I use think tank bags and they size them according to the different planes. So I know what bags will fit in that plane. Well, and you too. I mean, it is funny seeing Diana walk around uh, and all the other photographers there with their 12-foot lenses and all of that stuff. And they, yeah. We have problems. If we bring our microphones, like if I bring four microphones for a full setup uh, through, through TSA, even if they're checked, our bags get searched every time because they look like little sticks of dynamite, you know? So, <laughs> um, so they get searched every time. Uh, yeah, so we. Yeah, I always I, check uh, our equipment just because I don't want to deal with it at, at TSA. So I don't want to deal with the microphones. So now you are are leaving. Oh, but first of all, have you ever been to Lima? Is this your first time there? I actually have been to Lima um, many, many, many years ago. I went on a press trip to Lima, so I was able to enjoy it and get to Machu Picchu, and and it was for a competition for when you know they have those those. Uh, Peruvian pasta horses that, you know, you can carry a glass of wine and it doesn't move type thing. And so 
I did I did go many years ago and I, I bought their alpaca sweaters. So I'm kind of excited to go back. I just wish I had a little time to do other things other than just work. What 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 was Lima like? What's it like? It's on the coast, isn't it, of Peru? Yeah, you know, it's um it's an interesting country. Uh, you know, I I think the part that bothered me the most was you're talking many years ago, so hopefully things have changed. But you know, you do have to be careful. We had somebody guarding cars when we would go out to places and make sure that our cars were there when we got back. And um, and when you go to Machu Picchu on the train, um, every stop you make, there's little kids coming up, and and so I always had lollipop handy to hand give to them and stuff. Um, so, but it's it's a Cool country. I mean, it's a wonderful country. Beautiful scenery. And the venue? The venue is um, it's a it's a, um, a a military venue, and it, we actually have to in order to get there, we have to go to the MPC, which is the main press center, and then get a shuttle, which which also makes our life a little more difficult because in in addition to traveling, you know, to the MPC, then you have to travel to the military thing. So then you have to plan ahead of time to give yourself enough time to make sure you get on site on time so you can get settled and get your equipment out and, and do all that. Because you get lockers and, you know, ways that you can not have to carry everything where you go. And, and it is the winter. It's going to be winter in, in Peru, but winter is like our spring or fall. So actually it's going to be perfect for us. But there will be rain at occasion. So you have to think in terms of that too. <laughs> All these variables. Well, yeah, just imagine cool. you have to be ready for every scenario because you really don't know what the weather's going to be, you know, two weeks out or three weeks out. Absolutely. I can remember when we were in London, you know, you'd always have your reindeer with you because you never knew when you were going to get a five-minute raining downpour. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to cover your camera. You know, it's not just about us. It's about our cameras. Sure. We've yeah. got to have things to, to cover our cameras with, too. So She paid more for her cameras than I did my first, second, and third car. I think. Um, so. Yeah, hey. you know, you've got to have the, you know, the top. They've got to stop the action. I mean, that's that's people wonder why the cameras are so much more expensive when you can do everything on your iPhones, right? But you've got to stop the action, and you've got to deal with low low light situations. So it yeah. requires really intense camera to be able to do that. Plus, I'll be bringing my movie, my little uh, Sony movie camera, with me too, and I'll be doing some, you know, some sort of blogs and things of that sort and interviews with people. You can't do it. You're not allowed to do the competition. You're not allowed to videotape the competition, but you can, you know, you can do interviews and stuff on the site. So anything I'm allowed to do, I'll be trying to do too. Well, Diana, before we run out of time, a lot of people don't know that Diana is an actor and you, we can't talk much about it, but you were doing a movie yesterday, right? Yeah, I can I can mention what movie I was on, but I can't really talk about it. You know, when movies are in progress, you, you basically when you're assigned to do them, you basically have to keep everything quiet. You're not allowed to take pictures, do social media and stuff. But I was on Clifford. It was kind of fun, and uh, you the know, for anybody Clifford? family or yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, and uh, oh, anybody, cool. yeah, kids and family. That movie's going to be coming out, and boy, look for it. It's going to be a fun movie. But you know, I was also on uh, Ocean. I think it was, and uh, sitting, you know, sitting not too far from one of the the ghoul people, and that's out already. So you know, that's something I can mention and stuff. But um, I've been around the block. You know, what some people don't know about the the, the acting world is that there's two different levels. There's a non-union and a union level, 
and when I, when I was non-union, I did a lot of speaking roles and a lot of psychic clinical shows on the worst books in America. You know, I did parodies and all of that. But once you get to SAG-AFTRA, you have more chances for principal roles and stuff, but the competition gets tough and it's harder to get the speaking roles and stuff. So I'm sort of, you know, I've been a SAG-AFTRA for a while, but I am, you know, I'm going on auditions and, uh, you know, at those auditions are 200 other people trying for the same role you're around world yeah but you know one of these days i'm gonna get a cool commercial or a small part you know and it's all where i'm different than other people is that it's not my complete life it's not how i have to make my living it's part of what i do it gives me you know i love it it's a hobby and i I, you know i do it occasionally when i've got the time and when i like you know what's out there Um, but i don't have to depend on it so uh, you know one day maybe i'll do it more but uh, retirement is still in in the future so (laughs) Well, that's very cool. And you're not sweating bullets like the 21-year-old actresses sitting there waiting. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. the difference. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you no, actually have a I, life. There's no, yeah. pressure. <laughs> there's no pressure for me. I do. I have another life. You know, I pay the bills for my other life. Yeah. But, um, you know, the beauty about being an actress is that uh, there's no time frame. I, I can be 100 years old and still be an actress. And yeah. I love that part of it. So. Um, and I, you know, I'm a reporter, so I love being in front of the camera. I love that mic in my hand. I love all that stuff. So it, it gives you that same feeling. And some of the parts I've had have to do with reporting and, you know, those types of testimonials, or being a journalist or being a photographer and stuff, too. So, um, well, very and cool. And my dancing part of my life. I've been <laughs> done well, music videos. We're going to try and get Diana back. We've run out of time, but we're going to try and get Diana back uh, while she's down there. We're going to try and get her on the phone to do some live reporting from down there. Thank you, Diana, for joining us and have a good trip to Peru. You're welcome. Bye, Diana. Right, bye. Take care. All right. Nice speaking to you. Bye bye. I love her. I met her. She was one of the first people I ever met in my first press room. At, I think it was Rolex. Probably the first time we went to Rolex, she was one of the first people I ever met wow. in, in the press room. And uh, we've known her ever since. So it's probably 11, 12 years now. She just has a good spirit about yes. her. I mean, you, I met her through American Horse Publications and, and those events. And she's just just so welcoming and so open and friendly. Yep, yep. I'm I'm glad. Well, we're going to try and get her back, as I said, during the event, if she can, if she has a phone service and uh, can actually uh, call in. We'll, we'll try and get her back in a couple of weeks here. All right. It is time to talk about Horselovers.com. Horselovers.com right now, of course, they had to compete with Amazon Prime, and they did it by having three days of Prime Savings. Yay. So you're on your last day of Prime Savings right now. You can head on over there. There are, uh, let me see here, there are uh, nine six items that are on Prime Savings over at horselovers.com, including halters marked down to $4. Uh, they have rope halters that marked down to $20. Hay nets for $3. I mean, it's just ridiculous wow. the prices that they have here. And I'm looking, and, and there are 15 pages of items, and I was just scrolling through. They have a little bit of everything. Ariat ladies' terrain boots, you know, those ones that are almost like sneakers? Oh, they yeah. They have those marked down to $87 uh, regularly, I think 110 on those. They have bridles that are marked down 50% off. It just goes on 
and Sir Singles, uh, Himalayan Salt. It just goes on and on and on. So head on over right now to horselovers.com. It's the last day of their three-day prime savings. I'm sure you're going to find something that you absolutely need and won't tell your husband about. That is at <laughs> horselovers.com right now today. Get on over there for some super savings. Just click on the three-day prime savings banner. Also follow them on Facebook at horseloverswithaz.com. All right, it's time for one of these. It's time for the Horses in the Morning Horse Health Report. When our intrepid hosts, together with an unlucky member of the equine veterinary trade, attempt to inform, enlighten, or terrify horse owners everywhere into funding a Kickstarter campaign to mass-produce Kevlar-coated, bubble-wrap-lined equine products. Today, we have Steve Krause with us. He's back uh, being a friend of the Horse Radio Network. He's head of Farrier Services at the College of Veterinary Medicine in Cornell University. And uh, he's been coming on Horses in the Morning since 2015 to talk about all sorts of hoof topics and many of them on Horse Tip Daily. So, Steve, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. And I think today we're going to be talking about the horse's hind end. You know, a lot of times we're also concerned about the horse's front end and we're looking at front end lamenesses and we're talking to our farrier about the front hooves. But, you know, the horse has two other feet, too. So (laughs) um, and I think sometimes they get lost. So what's the number one uh, problem that you think farriers can help horse owners with in the hind end? Well, I think the hind end tends to be neglected for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, we always approach horses from the front, which is a, probably a wise thing to do, um, especially if you don't know the horse. But it's natural to look at the horse's front end where his head is, and people are very concerned about the front end. And then the other thing is the hind end, any faults of the hind end, are usually obscured by that nice bushy tail the horse has. Yeah. So we tend to not see things um, that are maybe important, whether it be in selecting horses uh, for purchase or breeding or for farriers that are going to work on them. And uh, it really would be good, but it also could be dangerous to walk up to a strange horse and pull the tail out of the way and look at the hind end a little bit better. So that's sort of the number one problem, really, uh, observation is not there uh, before mm-hmm. we start working on them or selecting them and so on. And then there, after observation, there has to be recognition of what's not correct. Right. And so I'm, I'm hearing you say that a lot of horse owners may or may not even realize that their horse has a problem in the back end. Right. Well, we see a lot of that here. In fact, we have uh, quite often, uh, you know, on a regular basis, Horses that are coming in here for underperformance to the veterinary college uh, hospital for either underperformance problems or front-end lamenesses. In some cases, they're getting MRIs or getting advanced imagery done to find out because nobody could figure out why the horse is not right in the front end. And then when all this goes on and nothing conclusive is found, then they're usually asking me to take a look at it. And I look at the horse, and the first thing that jumps out at me, because that's how my eye goes, is this horse is just not right behind. He's mm-hmm. either not confirmationally correct, or he's not shod to help his confirmation. 
And quite often, uh, the, the upshot is, is after we do that, the owners uh, tell me that the front-end lane misses are going away or the horse is on the bit for the first time or the horse has never moved so well. And so if you shoe the hind-end properly, then front-end problems are lessened or diminished and so on. So that's a, a, a big thing, a, a good takeaway on this. Well, when... Um when I'm looking at a horse, uh, and maybe I'm looking at the horse to buy, or maybe it's my own horse, and I'm maybe thinking there isn't something quite kosher going on, um, what should I look for in the hind end? What, what should we all be looking for? Well, there, there's two views that you have to um, be, keep in mind. Uh, the side view, um, and so you're looking at placement of the hooves under the hips. Mm -hmm. So if a horse is... Um, standing too far under himself or too far behind himself. Those are things that you should note. If you should be thinking plumb lines, and it's, again, hard to see this with the tail in the way, but if you take from the horse's buttock, a plumb line should come right down and hit the hocks and then hit the back part of the fetlock and have some way of seeing where that foot is in relation to the hips above it. And then the rear view, again, got to pull the tail out of the way. Is the horse base narrow, base wide? Is he correct? Are his hocks lined up properly? Are his cannon bones parallel or, or not? And so on. So you need to really, those two views are very, very important because hind end engagement can only occur when these things are correct. And when horses are not quite perfect, which most of them aren't, then there are things we could do with shoe fitting and shoe tight and trimming to give the horse the ability to engage his hind end better and, and carry himself better. Now, um, when it comes to the difference between trimming and shoeing, can, can our local farriers really make a difference uh, in the hind end, uh, just in general, just with, with trimming? Oh, yes. I mean, uh, a lot of horses, for instance, one example that we see a lot of is um, horses that are based narrow behind mm -hmm. um, are basically flaring to the inside and crushing the outside of their hooves. So basically the horse is like, if your horse was standing on the roof of your house, just picture that, um, he's standing with the ridge line right up the middle. So he's got one foot on each side of the ridge line if he's based narrow. Right. So he's walking on you know, on a slant on either side of the roof. And so when he tries to load his hips, uh, his hips move laterally. It's up to a mm -hmm. way away from his midline. Mm -hmm. So with trimming, farriers need to remove the excessive growth on the inside because the outside is usually smashed down. So you're at a deficit on the outside and an abundance on the inside. So you can start with just trimming, removing the flare and, and, and getting that excessive hoof growth off the inside and then the shoes can be used to enhance the trim because we can fit the shoes fuller on the lateral side and there are even shoes on the market now that are made right and left hind that have a slightly wider branch on the outside which gives you metal to put where the foot isn't and needs to be. That's just amazing you know and the other question that I have too is is I think most horse owners take care of all four feet kind of equally. Is there something different that we need to be doing for the back feet when it comes to hoof care that's different from in the front? Not, not really. I mean, 
horses are more likely to have problems with thrush behind and hoof rot just because they tend to, if they're in any straight stalls or they tend to maybe stand where they, um, you know, make their manure or urine. So quite often the hind feet are a little bit more susceptible to thrush problems and other types of things like that, because just the nature of the way the horse is. And, uh, so, but if you're giving regular, um, handling and, and examining and picking out and noting what's normal, what's not normal. And, and it, it's the, pretty much the same for front of, or the hind. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people have problems with thrush and similar issues with their horses. So it's good to know to pay extra attention to the, to the hind feet. And so when, when you see horses come in, what are some of the common uh, hind end issues that you're seeing that, that a farrier might be able to help with? Well, most of what happens going lame with horses uh, behind is from the hocks up. And as farriers, there's a tendency to feel that um, we can only influence things from the fetlock down. So most of the problems in the front end with with many horses uh, that farriers interact with are from the fetlock down in the foot and the pastern joint and so on. Mm-hmm. And then as we have uh, the hind end where most of the problems are higher up, barriers tend to think, well, I can't do anything about that. Um, but it's actually not so. And that's where shoes and, and, and proper trimming come in, because what we're doing with the shoes and the, and the uh, better alignment with the trimming is we're supporting that load that's coming down from the top. And so, again, thinking where the hips are, where the hocks are, um, and then how, how it's a geometric problem, where the base is in relation to what's above. So that's mm-hmm. where farriers can really do a lot by influencing um, that geometry that supports the forces that are generated. But it, it's no different than building a, a shed or a barn. If you're not plumb and have the base off, it's going to sag and have problems. Yeah. And I know um, I have therapy horses, so they tend to be a little older. And I know a lot of our listeners have older horses, too. And as time goes on, just like people, we tend to wear down and wear a little differently, maybe left and right. And it sounds like, you know, the farrier really can can make a difference there and kind of even them out if, um, you know, if they're wearing unevenly. Yeah, yeah. So, again, just paying attention to the trim, aligning the bottom of the hoof with the long axis of the leg is, is certainly the other thing that farriers tend to do in, in some places I've seen is shoe the front feet like their hind feet. Uh, I'm, I'm, excuse me, shoe the hind feet like their front feet on their fit. So generally speaking, we like to keep the front feet um, shod without very much support in the heels because the horse is likely to step on them and rip them off. But behind, you can get away with putting a little bit more heel behind the foot. I'm not talking a lot mm-hmm. unless there's a need for it. Um, but horses need to be able to, if they're going to use their hind end, and really a horse is a rear-wheel drive machine. Uh, yes, they use the front to balance and pull themselves forward, but they really want to load their hind end for any type of speed work, polo, uh, roping, jumping, dressage, it's all off the hind end. And um, having a proper supportive type fit of the shoes keeps the horse 
gives the horse the ability to do that. Otherwise, he's going to compromise that and not fully load because he's actually going to almost like he's falling backwards. Like if you mm. step on a curb and have your heels just off the curb in midair, you don't feel stable. Right. So if you, if you move forward a little bit, so especially when you have a horse that stands under himself, that horse is actually rocking backwards if he is made to load the hind end. Mm. And you get what's called um, uh, the, the coffin bone uh, on the hind end. We get what's called a negative plantar angle. And that means that the coffin bone is actually rotated backwards. And we Got see it. that on a lot of old horses. Uh, again, years of uh, no support and, and uh, maybe not you know, perfect confirmation, the horse will actually sink backwards a little bit. So here's what happens with these horses. They never really load well. They're jamming their toes into the ground because they can't load the mm-hmm. hind end well. So you see changes morphologically in the, in the hoof. You get that bull nose appearance and everything. And the horse is short strided behind. Right. So by giving the horse extra support with the shoes and, and paying attention to how you trim, so you have optimum, uh, you know, heel support, we can help these horses and, and we do on a regular basis. Um, and, and, and it's just a matter of recognizing the problem and understanding the physics. Well, you are absolutely amazing. I could sit and talk to you all day long. I, mean, I have so many questions, but we are running out of time. Uh, Steve Krause, uh, thank you so much for joining Horses in the Morning once again, and um, I hope you'll come back soon and uh, give us some more wisdom and knowledge. Anytime. Just let me know. We will. We will. Thank you so very much. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Steve. Okay. Have a good morning. Sounded you too. like he was on the way to college. It sounded that way, yeah, yeah. But busy guy, busy guy. But boy, what a wealth of information. He is at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Cornell University. Uh, So let's take a break for a song. And I thought what an appropriate song today, seeing we talked about hay, would be Hay in Time by Marianne Kennedy, who lives down near you, I think. She does. She does. I know Marianne, Right right down the street. I I don't think she's too far from you, actually. Uh, She's she's about a half an hour from me. Yeah. Well, we're going to do a little hay in time, and then we're going to come back. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about the 70s, and Jemmy keeps claiming that she was born in the 70s. I think she was actually yeah. born in like the 90s, but um, <laughs> we're, we're going to find out if she remembers anything that we're going to talk about. And then we have a very special guest coming up. We're going to have Molly Pearson on, who is riding in the Mongol Derby this year. So we're going to get her <laughs> on. She sounds like a lot of fun. So all of that's still coming up on today's show. So far from winter, the grass is green Hard to imagine that we will need To feed the horses so slick and round But they're gonna need it when snow's on the ground Hay in time, hay in time Making hay while the sun shines Sweating bullets, I swear it's 99. Calling all your favorites, cause it's hay in time. 
Call up your family, call all your friends, and we'll drink a cold one when the day ends. And when we stack that final bail, we'll celebrate and know we earned that ale. Hey, in time, hey, in time, making hay while the sun shines. Sweating bullets, I swear it's 99. Calling all your favors, cause it's hay in time. If you are a farmer, you know it won't make you rich. It's hard work, that's no lie. But the satisfaction at the end of days like this, no amount of money can buy. Time. Marianne Kennedy you can find all of her music at MaryannKennedy.com. So I came across this list on Reddit and I thought it was kind of fun. There's a lot of our listeners that are uh, probably between Lisa's age and my age, somewhere in that range. Probably. Yeah, I think probably. actually when yeah. we first started, it was uh, that was the majority. So uh, this list is uh, congratulations to all my friends who grew up in the 70s and lived. Because, you know, <laughs> when you really look back at it and when we were growing up, and Jemmy, we're going to include her in this a little bit because she was born at the end of the 70s, we determined. So the very uh, I, end. I, I don't think she remember any of these things. <laughs> we'll find out how much she remembers. But um, how about, and oh God, everybody smoked. Everybody. Sur- surviving moms and dads who smoked, mothers who smoked the entire pregnancy, didn't have any trouble with that at all. As nope. a matter of fact, the doctors used to smoke in the doctor's offices. I remember that. Yes. I remember that when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, re- I remember my mom and dad sitting there in the doctor's office smoking with the doctor. Yeah. Well, we're in there to get treated for a lung disease, right? You know, yes, like, yes, like, yes. I was because I had allergies and all kinds of things. I always had these upper respiratory things. And I remember just being so sick and sitting there, and my mom and the doctor are in there smoking. Yeah, or driving in the car. That you know, the car's filled with smoke, and it's like, yeah, it's like, my yep. both and my no parents car seats and no seat belts. In the oh, car. no seat belts in the car. No, we had vans. So there were four boys, so we had this van, a big Chevy vans. Well, we didn't use seat belts in the back, and matter of fact, if for some reason my dad took the back seat out, there were four boys. We would put lawn chairs in the back of the van and sit on the lawn chairs. I remember when I was in first grade, we had this, this somebody came to school and talked to us about seatbelts. And I remember, I lived with my mother and my grandmother, and I remember 
insisting that I wouldn't get in the car with them unless they put their seatbelts on. Of course, I was in the back seat and there were no seatbelts, as you said, back there. But I wouldn't get in the car with them until they put their seatbelts on. And they were just like, this is crazy. We don't need to be doing this. (laughs) (laughs) And the rules, I mean, we were like three years old sitting in the front seat. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I remember almost falling out of the car once. My mom was driving on this four-lane road going about 50 miles an hour, and I was, I don't know, six, and and the the car door just flew open. Of course, I didn't have my seatbelt on. She grabbed me, and, you know, obviously I lived, but (laughs) how did we all survive? I don't know. Speaking of which, uh, the cars back then, safety standards weren't as high as they are today because they actually sold gremlins, my first car... (laughs) A gremlin. Uh, and Pintos. And the, pin- the Pintos. Yes. Both of them yes. had their gas tank in the very back, right in front of the bumper. Yes. So when people would get rear-ended, they'd blow up. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first car, a gremlin. So not only did we not have seatbelts that actually worked, uh, it, it would blow up if you got hit. So yes. there's that. Yes. And they were ugly as hell. Time. Let's not remember, forget that oh, either. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, yes. Um, how about uh, they took aspirin, ate blue cheese, raw egg products, loads of bacon processed meat, tuna from a can, and never got tested for diabetes or cervical cancer. That is oh, no. Uh, true. No. No. Cooked with lard the whole time. Yes. My, <laughs> my mom actually had lard. We would cook with lard. That, that's true. Uh, and then after a trauma, our, our, our baby cots were covered in bright colored lead-based paints. Yes. Wasn't that fun? Everything was. <laughs> our house was asbestos shingles. And really? Yeah. It was in, uh, the whole, you know those, those triangle-shaped or uh, kind of diamond-shaped ones? Well, yeah. that's what our house was. And as kids, our house was pink. We grew up in the pink house in the middle of the street. There were four boys. Figure that out. So, yeah. you know, we got beat up a lot. Um, and you never wanted your friends to come over because we were the pink house in the middle of the street. Yeah, so yeah, that's embarrassing. We finally talked our parents into painting it. Well, they said, well, when we were probably 10, 11 years old, they said, well, we'll buy the paint if you guys do the scraping. So we actually were the ones doing the scraping of the asbestos shingles and to paint no the house. Masks, no masks, no nothing. No, 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 no. Nope. Wow. Um, there were no childproof lids on medicine bottles, doors or cabinets, and we rode our bikes and we had no helmets. And most of the time we rode barefooted. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Did you ever Never. hitchhike? Once. Now I had a lot of friends who did. Uh, I just did once just because usually I had transportation. I either had my horse or I had my bike or, or somebody would take me someplace. But I had friends who hitchhiked like cross country in high school and nobody ever thought anything of it. It's like, oh, you know, they'll call when they get to a phone someplace and you know, they'd be gone a week. Nobody'd hear from them. We drank water from the garden hose uh, and not from a bottle. There was not bottled water back then. I don't remember no, bottled water. No, the gallon either. jugs, maybe, but not the individual. I don't even remember those. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, even all the stores closed at 6 p.m.? And no. you had to go to the bank before it closed to get cash out, or you didn't have any cash. Oh, no, no. And, and nothing was open on Sunday. No. Nothing. No. Nothing. You're right. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> You know, it was funny because I, I went from Minnesota to Washington State and I moved here to Tennessee in 1985. And Minnesota and Washington State, I think, were maybe a little bit more progressive than Tennessee back then because when I remember coming to Tennessee 
everything would close down for the weekend at set five or six o'clock on Saturday and nothing would open up till Monday morning. I mean, it, I was just appalled. I couldn't go to a grocery store on a Sunday. <laughs> oh, you definitely couldn't buy booze on a Sunday. There was no, oh, no nothing. No, no. There was no that bars was, open. Nothing. No, nothing. We yeah. couldn't buy booze here in Tennessee until like two or three years ago on a Sunday. Oh, is that right? You still had the yeah. sunshine laws? Huh. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Uh, and I can imagine Jimmy, Jimmy's boy is seven. So imagine this. I mean, at seven years old, my mom would say, you go out and play and don't come back till dinner. Yeah. And we would just disappear. We'd be riding our bikes for miles. We'd be down yeah. at the park. I mean, and we would literally not come back till dinner. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We had, when I was younger, my mom had this big, like, cow. It wasn't a cowbell, but it was a big booming bell and everybody had one or two acre lots in our whole area we were on the lake and I'd leave the house at eight or nine in the morning and when it was time for dinner she'd ring that bell and wherever I was I mean half a mile away you could hear it and I'd head on home yeah how we did live I don't know because I was riding my bike in some pretty dangerous roads and we just did it I mean yeah oh yeah you just did it and then at night we used to go out and play flashlight tag so we'd be out at night in the summer till 10 11 o'clock playing flashlight tag out in the neighborhood yeah yeah wandering all over the place um how about uh also no cell phones so there was no way they were going to reach us or we were going to call home (laughs) if something did happen but you know you know the difference though was they could probably call one of the neighbors who could call one of the neighbors who knew you or knew where you were and, and we I don't could think always we have that anymore. There was a, or like in the town we grew up in, uh, you know, I I knew kids from school that lived all over town. So right. if you had to and you fell down and broke your foot, you could probably knock on a door uh, yes. to, to make yes. a phone call on the landline. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like this. You had three TV stations. That <laughs> is the truth. And one TV. And one TV. And you had the antenna. You kept having to turn it depending on the TV station yes. to get it in yes. so it wasn't quite as fuzzy. You know, yeah. if you were watching sports, you could never see the ball. That was just out because it was oh, too no. fuzzy for the no. hand. No. But yeah, three TV stations. <laughs> Jennifer just made a point. Now we have to do that to make a phone call. You have to hold the yeah. phone up and sideways. <laughs> That is true. That is true. I remember when we got a color TV set. I'm a little older than you are, Glenn, but uh, it was probably in the mid '60s, so we were maybe behind the ball a little bit. But I remember getting that color television I set. I do too. Oh, wow. And who was in charge of going up there and sitting by the TV and turning the stations? It was always one oh, of the yeah. kids, right? Yeah, yeah you had to go me. up there, and then they yeah. would yell at you for being too close to the TV because you'll yeah. go blind or whatever it was. <laughs> that you were, I think you were going to go blind or something if you sat close yeah, and to you the never, TV. Well, yeah, and you never got the sound right, so you had to sit that's there, and then you were right. you were in the way, so that's you right. had to move, but then you had to go back because you had to adjust something. Do you remember when UHF came in? Yes. UHF stations where we got yes. like Fox, I think was the first one that came. Yeah. And and yeah. you could barely get that. That was like, that was iffy if you ever got the UHF yeah. station. Yeah. Uh, but they had the cool old stuff on, the UHF oh, stations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was the first time I remember like being able to watch a rerun. Yes. You know, because if, they would because have the Lucy show and all of those. Yeah, yeah. But if you missed a show, you missed it. You you didn't you couldn't do a rerun and it didn't have a replay and you couldn't watch it online. That's so right. if you missed an episode of Bonanza, which was my favorite, uh, I was sunk. How about everybody got the newspaper because that was the only connection to the <laughs> yes. outside world you had other than the nightly news for half an hour. Yeah, uh, okay. and everybody's parents watched the nightly news. Everybody's Everybody. parents watched that after dinner because yeah. that was the only news you got. It all was. Yeah. It was. And they didn't have the 24-hour news no. stations like CNN or, six o'clock you know. Or 6.30. Yeah. 
depending. Yeah. Local news was yeah, at was six, six and yeah. six thirty was the national news. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, how about we were given BB guns, air guns, and slingshots uh, at about the age of eight? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they would give us the slingshots with ball bearings, so we'd have something to shoot with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> we used to we used to build the little plastic models because everybody had plastic models back then. I don't even know if they'd make those anymore. You put glue together and you get high just on the glue. Um, yeah. But we used to build the little car models and the little ship models and stuff. And then we used to take them down to the basement with the BB gun and shoot them to pieces. That was our <laughs> favorite thing to do. I remember setting up targets on the side of the house, not, not even thinking because we had a, a wooden – kind of shingle house that, that with shingles went all the way down and not even thinking that those BBs would go into the wood. Right. right. You know? <laughs> and they did. <laughs> I can't tell you how many BB gun, gun shootouts we had too. We we're just shooting at each other. I mean, yeah. that, we'd always put on like a heavy coat so it wouldn't hurt as bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how we, I don't really don't know how we lived. And then. It's amazing that you didn't get something in your eye or something, you know, like a BB oh, in yeah. your eye. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we did. I mean, <laughs> um, and then the last one, lawn darts. Remember oh, jarts? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. And everybody had them. And they were all, I mean, we were little kids. Yes. And for those I that mean, don't know, they darts. were these, this very large, looked like a very large dart. It was about a foot long and very pointy at the end. And you would throw it, trying, you'd throw them up in the air and trying to get them into a ring on the ground. Yeah. But I, most of the time, we were just throwing them at each other. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how anybody survived jarts. I don't know yeah. how the company made them for so long without getting sued to oblivion. I don't know. I just remember running around and, and, and having holding these things and having a bunch of kids just running with these pointy, sharp things. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Jarts. I, I wonder what year they stopped selling jarts. I don't know. I don't know. I guarantee you jarts will never be in the Toy Hall of Fame, just because. (laughs) No. (laughs) We need to invent one, all these toys that that are no longer. Right, right. You know, dangerous. By the way, this Reddit thread with people making comments and adding their stuff went on forever. We did so much dangerous stuff back then. You could never get away. You'd be be arrested for child neglect nowadays. Oh, yeah, or abuse or, or yeah, yeah <laughs> child endangerment. <laughs> Back to the smoking one. The the grossest thing was our dentist, who was my friend's dad, who lived right up the street, like four houses away. Um, he was a big smoker, so anytime he would come in to work on he, between patients, I remember this too. He drank a lot of Coke, like regular Coke. He had cases yeah. of Coke, so he'd go out and have Coke and drink a cigarette. So when he came back in, his hands would just reek of smoke, and he'd be putting them oh, in your mouth. Yuck. <laughs> Oh, yuck. <laughs> All things you can't get away with today. Oh, I know. Do you have any, any that stick out for you? You know, the, the smoking is, is was number one for me. Yeah, because but, it was everywhere. You know, Restaurants, also, everywhere. Yeah, yeah I, just, I just remember... Airplanes. Like, yes. All over the airplane. Then they tried doing smoking sections, which was a joke. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I remember that. And then I also remember, like... Um, like just doing weird things like tying tying um like a rope to the bumper of the car and rolling the car down the hill and yes. trying to ski <laughs> <laughs> you know just and nobody thought anything of it you know nobody thought that was like a bad thing to do 
For a while, my mom had a little restaurant at a flea market in Burdenhand, Pennsylvania, of all places. Yeah. Right down from Intercourse. Um, so we, she used to let us, when we were like eight years old, drive the car around. <laughs> We'd yeah. Just drive oh, yeah. around the flea market all the way around. It was funny. Yeah. All right. Well, there's a little reminiscence or a little reminiscing of what we used to get away with in the 70s and the fact that we're all still here. All right. Next guest. You know, every year we cover the Mongol Derby. And this year, unfortunately, we're going to be on vacation. We won't be able to do our Facebook Lives every night. I know people have been look, we're looking forward to that, but we're not going to be here. So we won't be able to do the Facebook Lives every night and talk to the parents and find out how scared to death they are, or the spouses. Uh, so you all are on your own this year and keeping track and following the dots. But we have a competitor this year. I asked Eric to send us somebody fun who's going to be competing this year. And he said, I have just the person for you. So we have Molly Pearson on here with us. She's from Oakland, California. Hi, Molly. Hi, good morning. Good morning. So we, first question we ask all Mongol Derby competitors for like the last 10 years is why? <laughs> oh my god how long you got <laughs> i mean you know at first i really can't describe it any other way than when i saw the website for it my whole entire body was just like i absolutely have to do this um and there's kind of no other way to describe it. And just in the like year that I've been training for it, the the whys have been kind of revealing themselves uh, retroactively, almost um, in the ways that I've learned uh, how to like really partner with my body and appreciate my body and the things that it's doing for me and the things that I've learned about myself in the process. Um, it's sort of like a a reverse uncovering of why. <laughs> well, to, for new <laughs> listeners or for somebody who's been living under a rock, um, the Mongol Derby is a thousand kilometer race and they change horses multiple times a day. They're riding Mongol ponies that are not really trained all that well. Um, and it's a race. So, I mean, first one to the finish line. Now, they do have rules and they do do vet checks and things. Not quite as strict as an endurance race, an FEI endurance race. But And then you also, you stay with the locals and you eat local food and all of that. And, and it is it's thrilling to follow. So, if you've never t uh, taken a look at it before or followed along, you want to do that. So, that's what she signed up for. I challenged Leslie Wiley to it here on the air a couple years ago, Molly. And boy, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, she never, she Check still hasn't challenge. forgiven me for that. Uh, so, Molly, you have a lot of horse experience, though. You were a vaulter for a long time, right? I was, yeah. I was um, one of those silly little acrobats in full body spandex dancing around and doing gymnastics and cheerleading and break dancing on a course while it runs around in circles. I, if you go to Molly's uh, Facebook page, you're going to see her standing on her head more than on her feet in the pictures. Um, so pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I think staying on the horse is not going to be a problem for you. I think you you'll have an advantage over everybody else uh, that way. Well, my my trainer is trying to get me to compete the whole thing in a handstand, and <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. But I do have like a secret wish to do some kind of weird gymnastic thing out there. See if Eric can capture some of it on film. <laughs> Please tell me you're going to be wearing like a vaulting, sparkly spandex outfit the whole time you're riding. 
<laughs> you know, if I have the extra uh, weight allotment in my in my pack pounds, I just may pack some purple full body spandex and <laughs> ride across the finish line in that. You know, weight's important actually because you only get like eleven pounds in your pack, right? Yeah, and really, it's more like nine and a half pounds of gear because the backpack that we use and the saddlebag that they give us are so heavy mm. already that it's really, um, you really have to be uh, super diplomatic about what you bring. So what are you planning to bring? Do you have it planned out? You must. You're, you're a couple of weeks away. Yeah. Yeah. I leave in 13 days and um, <clears throat> I'm bringing, you know, I've done so much research on the sort of lightest weight and lowest temperature rating sleeping bags. Um, so I've got one that weighs about 20 four ounces or something like that. Oh my goodness. Um, so sleeping bag, sleeping pad, uh, a puffy jacket, because it's going to be really cold out there, and a rain jacket, because we'll probably be hit with some flash floods and some Oh, hail. you will. Um, <laughs> you will. No question. <laughs> One of the things that I really loved reading about was somebody wrote um, about their experience and said that they had golf ball-sized bruises all over their body from the hail that poured down upon them. And I'm like, that. That's what I want. <laughs> You're a sick puppy. That's right. why I'm doing the derby. <laughs> now, are you one of those that's planning on going out to win, or are you going to finish? Um, well, I was always planning on going just to finish, and... A uh, mentor of mine told me, you know, I think you're really doing a disservice to your skills and your training this year if you just kind of rest on your laurels and like hobble along and just try and finish. So, uh, you know, I've, I mostly haven't said this out loud yet. Um, nobody's listening. I, you're good. You can, no, if you can say it. Nobody. You're good. Nobody's listening, nobody's right? Listening. This no. is the one broadcast that's, that's it. been interrupted. We have two <laughs> listeners, so you're good. <laughs> Perfect. So it'll be between you, me, and the fence post. That's it. Yep. I would really love, um, really love to make the top ten. Well, that's a good goal, actually, because that's you know that's I think the ones that go out to win win always end up having trouble because they push it almost a little too hard. Um, but if you're going mm-hmm. out to be in the top ten, you're not going to be taking all the bad chances that you should have. You're you're going to think about a few of them along the way, and it, it really is the ones who go out really hard tend to flame a little bit at some point and you you all everybody mm-hmm. always gets the horse that slows them down right i mean you're going to get that one horse that's going to like 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 did with leslie and ran away with all her tax so she had to ride stirrupless for 25 miles so yeah yeah Jesus. well and i think too, if you go out <laughs> if you go out and you know hoping to be in the top 10 you just don't know what's going to happen you could you could possibly win you know it's, it's anything can happen in this race Right. Anything can happen. And it's so odd to prepare so hard for something when luck plays such a massive factor. Yes. What What yeah. have you been doing to prepare? Um, so by morning, I am uh, actually a, a fitness teacher. So I teach a lot of my classes um, nowadays based on the kind of muscular strength that uh, I will need while I'm out there on the derby. So I do a lot of morning workouts, you know, with my, with my crew. 
Um, I've been taking up running uh, really just in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, I'm a little late to the party on that, but <laughs> I'm really enjoying it a lot. And, you know, cranked out a cool eight miles the other day and was like, okay, this, is, this isn't so well, bad. That's good. Like, when your horse I disappears, eight, I can run 13. When your horse disappears between checkpoints, you can run the rest of the way. That would be perfect. <laughs> that, that's totally the plan. Like, I sort of have in my mind the idea of like coming back and telling everybody about the impromptu half marathon I had to run. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Now, are you planning on trying to get to the checkpoints every night and sleeping there, or are you willing to sleep with the locals? I am totally willing to sleep with the locals. So have you been preparing your stomach? (laughs) (laughs) You laugh. That's the the biggest thing people have problems with in Mongolia. it is. Yep. Yeah. I had somebody recommend that I drink a bunch of X-Lax and go riding. And that's the closest thing uh, to a parallel experience that you'll get on the Derby. Um, So I I haven't done that yet, um, but I will say I have not really been treating my body like a temple um, as I've been training. You know, I I follow the adventurous training regimen of pull-ups and pies. Yeah, good. Good, good. That's good. And maybe did you order any fermented mare's milk to be shipped over so you could uh, get used to it? You know, we just had a horse at the barn uh, give birth a couple weeks ago, and we were jokingly, uh, you know, going to milk her and just let that sit in the sun for a week <laughs> and then have me drink that. Yeah, what could go and wrong with that? Too. Here you go while you're at it. <laughs> and when is the last time that you've eaten goat out of a bowl in the middle of the table? Um, last? August in Kenya. Actually. Really? You did wow. that? Wow. Mm-hmm. How was that, by the way? Yeah, I go to... Uh, it, not good. <laughs> um, <laughs> not good at all. You know, I'm really... I really don't like the game meat. I really... I don't like lamb. I don't like sheep. I don't like goat. I don't like rabbit. Like... I'm not thrilled about the food situation, um, yeah, but I'm trying to there. <laughs> yeah, bring a lot of bars, a lot of power bars for you. <laughs> That's the plan is to bring like as many bars and as much, you know, like high caloric electrolytes as I can. But that stuff is heavy. Yeah, it so. is heavy. That's the problem with that is it's it, you're only allowed so much weight. Now, are you allowed to restock your pack? So, in other words, can you restock at the checkpoints or not? Or what you start with is what you, you know, have for the run. Yeah, so it's very Lord of the Flies. Um, when somebody <laughs> drops out of the race and you get to the next checkpoint, you're totally welcome to raid their pack and <laughs> rifle through whatever they've left behind. And that happens all the time. Um, but what you start out with basically is what you are guaranteed to have between the starting line and the first checkpoint. And then after that, you can ditch things or you can pilfer. Okay. So, well, we wish you the best of luck. It's going to be so much fun. Everybody that goes there, well, some of the people that go there have fun, uh, but (laughs) everybody has a story to tell after. So, and I assume you have a very large contingent rooting for you at home. I have a very sweet collection of humans who have just been the biggest champions for me and it has really gotten me through some of the super dark dark hours 
All right, now let's get to the important stuff. She thought she was going to get off easy here today. So in your description on uh, on the Muggle Derby site, it says, addicted to Burning Man, dark chocolate, which I assume you'll have some of that along, and great stories that come from failed Tinder dates. First of all, you're absolutely beautiful. What are you doing on Tinder? You can get any guy you wanted. <laughs> you know, maybe there's just like a sampling error in the East Bay. <laughs> well, one, everybody is poly. So, <laughs> you know, you meet somebody and they're like, I'm in, a, I'm in a long-term committed open relationship with my partner. You know, I'm available for you to be my secondary or my tertiary, or maybe you'd like to date me and my partner. Um, so that's, you do oh, live in the Bay Area, so let's keep that in mind. That's how many of how many yeah. of these dates have you been on? <laughs> um, you know, I have I've lost count. Um, That's not and, good. And you know, for for the most part, um, none of them really crash and burn um, because I think I'm fairly good at like looking for and kind of finding a connection that I'm trying to make at least for the next hour and a half while I'm on this mm-hmm. date. Um, I think maybe the, one of the stories that stands out the most is um, when I made a guy cry in the first seven minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> what the heck did you do to the poor guy? <laughs> well, so I asked, him what's your what's your favorite non-physical thing about yourself and he said um my my aura and I was like oh what's it like living in this you know aura of yours <laughs> that you love so much and I forget his answer but his his answer jogged the next question that I asked him which was this I looked at this poor guy and I said what's something that you never heard from your father that you wish you had? Good Lord. Were you a psychology major? What was, (laughs) you were like the date from hell. (laughs) Nobody wants to answer that on a first date. (laughs) You know, this poor guy just started, tears came to his eyes and he was like, you know, my dad left when I was four and I wonder if it was hard for him. And I wonder if he ever thinks about me. That's that's what I want to know. How long did it take you to get your oh foot out of your God. mouth? At the- <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he was he was real sweet about it, and then just kind of looked at me and was like, "How did you do that?" Oh my God. <laughs> and he never called again. <laughs> <laughs> so now we know why so she's been, been on many Tinder dates. She scares the crap out of him. Oh, I want to know if there's ever been any second dates. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Ooh, have the, yeah, there there have been there have been some second dates, um, and but you know this year especially, a lot of my second dates have been like, hey, actually, I got to be training, so are you down to like do a ten mile hike with me? And <laughs> I also think that intensity uh, perhaps scares them off. A yeah, little bit. that's it. So it's hard enough being a horse girl finding a guy. You're throwing all this other crap into it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. You're a horse just... girl and I want adventure and I'm a little intense and extreme. And so yeah. it's, you know, my my parents are always apologizing. They're like, We're sorry that we are the way we are and we set you up to it's gonna be, be single forever. <laughs> and you know what? They are both marriage therapists. 
Oh, well, no that's way. the problem. See, that's the problem. <laughs> the kids of, of shrinks always end up with problems. So that's you were doomed from the beginning. <laughs> I, I was doomed from the beginning. <laughs> uh, Molly, this has been fun. I'm right, not even going to ask you about... Bur- with a horse. Yeah, exactly. At least they're loyal to you. Um, yeah. Well, except for the Mongol ones. They're not as loyal. So I got to say, I was going to ask you about the Burning Man thing, but this is a PG show and we have to keep family friendly. So, And I'm yeah. now after getting to know you a little bit, I'm not going to ask because I'm, I'm afraid of what I might hear, actually. So... Uh, you know what? Next next time I talk to you guys, I'll come back with like a really solid PG Burning Man story. Okay, <laughs> is there one? Uh. <laughs> There's a few. Okay, <laughs> just check. There's a few. I'm gonna have to rack my brains, but yeah, I'll I'll, just, I'll I'll come up with some good ones for you guys. Next time you come back, it's gonna be after your home, and we're gonna talk about the Derby. Is that a deal? That's a deal. You watch. She's gonna go over there, meet some nice nice Mongolian guy, and she'll be moving. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's what's going to happen. Never coming back. Yeah, he'll have a whole herd of goats, and that's what she'll have for dinner every night. Uh, <laughs> Molly, I'll learn to love it. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's yes. right. <laughs> Molly, good luck, and we're going to be rooting for you. We'll be following your doc. Thank you so much, you guys. All right, see you. Good luck, Molly. <laughs> Bye. And thanks, Eric. You did well again. Eric's our contact over at the Mongol Derby. He helps us out every year setting this up. And I do apologize to everybody. I know a lot of you, thousands of you, enjoyed our coverage every night of the Mongol Derby. But we're going to be in Scotland that week. So, um, you know, and if I was truly dedicated, I would do it from Scotland. But I'm not that dedicated. So I'm going to enjoy vacation. (laughs) It's vacation. That's right. That's right. So where can people find you, Lisa? I am at lisawysaki.com. It's W-Y-S-O-C-K-Y. I'm on Facebook, Lisa Wysocki, Twitter, although I don't tweet all that much, and uh, colbysarmy.org. So just Google me and I'll, I'll come up somewhere. And where can people find all your books? Uh, in stores, online, everywhere. Amazon.com is always a good place to start. All right. Which one do you want them to start with? Right now. Oh, gee. Um, <laughs> there's so many. Um, you know, if they're into the horse training books, the the uh, essential horse confirmation is good. Uh, my horse, my partner is good. Uh, the fiction, you know, Cat Enright. Uh, we're working on number five, but the first one is the opium equation. Uh, but any of them are standalone, so you could start with, with anyone that uh, piqued your interest. The number five will be out very late this year and is a trail riding mystery. Cool. Very good. Yeah. Yep. Well, that sounds like fun. Well, tomorrow's the fox hunting episode, and then we're going to have a best of for you on Friday because Jamie and I, we're going to be out and about in Sarasota. We're going to be heading down that way for the next Finding Florida episode. And of course, Jamie is checking in uh, on a regular basis with lots of pictures and videos from London. They seem yes. to be having a great time over there checking out all the sites. Uh, and it uh, did give me a little bit of an indication of how busy it is there right now. So uh, it's very busy in London. So we're, uh, we're having fun following her. You can f- just check out her Facebook page at Jamie Jennings and you'll see all of her posts from London. And the auditors are getting special preview posts too. That's Yay. it for today. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you.